0: Let's pray together, please. Surrounded by this great cloud of witness, O God, we ask that we might hear your Holy Spirit speak through scripture, through music, through sermon, through silence, through a community gathered in a sacred place. You need none of these to speak, and yet they become... Sacraments of your love for us as they become vehicles means of us hearing more deeply and feeling more fully all that you would have us think and feel and act upon in our lives. And so this day we do pray for an openness to hear through Christ who is the word we pray. Amen. Back in 1997 when my family moved to Louisville, We, like uh, most newcomers to the city, began the house hunt, the hunt for that perfect house that would fit our family. We decided that we wanted a house that had character, which of course means it's old. And with old comes all kinds of interesting challenges. We hunted day after day and one day found a house we liked very much. The floor plan was interesting. It was in a great location. Price seemed about right. I noticed that there was a little bubble on a piece of uh, the wallpaper and I went over and pressed and realized that there was nothing of substance behind the wallpaper and I wondered what else is behind this wallpaper we try to mask many things in fact that 's often a common problem when you 're looking for a house. When we toured the house that we have today, we thought it was so nice that the people who were living in the house always lit candles before we came by to look at the house. <laughs> a few weeks after we moved in, it was a bright and sunny day, and the the house got nice and warm and Then we realized why the candles were there. The previous owner had had a cat who used the first floor as its kitty box. And it required us to remove all the carpet and have the wood underneath it sealed. Just recently, we have had to have the original porch to the house taken away. Uh, Apparently, some years before, before we bought the home, uh, the original porch had cracked and started to cave in on itself. And so in a moment of uh, genius, someone came along and said, well, we'll just put some cement over the top and lay bricks and it will look just fine, which I suppose it did look fine for a number of years. But there was water seeping down into the foundation for the last 20 years, and when they pulled the concrete away, there was the foundation just barely hanging on. I understand why we do these kinds of things. I understand the quick fix. I myself live by the adage, never do today what you can put off until tomorrow. But eventually you have to pay the piper. Eventually you have to get behind the wallpaper. Some of you will remember that old Fram oil filter advertisement where the mechanic looks into the uh, camera and says, you can pay me now or you can Pay pay me later. You can address the issues now that warp and affect and rot and distort. Now or later. And I think Jesus Christ came into this world to give us a glimpse of the kingdom of God and to invite us to live our lives in such a way that we are working in and toward that kingdom and all of its fullness. And in doing so, he invites us to get behind the wallpaper, all the hatred and greed and fear and isolation and poverty, and to ask ourselves, really, is this the best you can do? Is this how you want to live? I love this 12th chapter of Luke. We've spent a number of weeks in it during this Pentecost season because it gives kind of a synopsis of what this kingdom is all about. The 12th chapter begins with Jesus warning us about wallpaper religion, about religion that's just form but not spirit. Beware, he says, of the religion of the Pharisees. They've got wallpaper, but they don't have foundation. Then he warned us about greed, about hoarding. He told the parable of of the man whose whose barns weren't big enough, so he built bigger barns so he could keep what was his. Be careful, Jesus said, against all forms of greed. For it reveals a, a spirit that says there's not enough. As opposed to the spirit of the kingdom, which says there's more than enough for everybody. So he says to us, don't be afraid, little flock, for it's the Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. You and I, the church, as flawed as we are, we are, we are participants in this kingdom. So be ready for the moment to live into the kingdom values. Don't be like the unfaithful slave. And then today, I've come to bring fire. Maybe as you hear these words, you think of the news reports It's been going on for the last several weeks from western United States where fires have ravaged the countryside. Fires that just seem so arbitrary and so very cruel. Maybe that's what you think of when Jesus says, I've come to bring fire to the earth. I have a baptism with which to be baptized. Now, we handle that line pretty well. We like to talk about baptism around here. But then his line you think I've come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you. But rather, division. This is not the nice Jesus that you and I have come to love and appreciate. But it is a Jesus who is very honest to say that as we are in the midst of renovation, which we are here at Highland, Before we can build, we first must get behind the wallpaper. Before we are able to make beautiful, we first must examine, and that may require making a mess. Our dear friend Barbara Campbell recently told us that her cancer has come back. She has lymphoma. Her goal is to restore herself to health by the power of God and the power of medicine, to be restored fully. But before she can be restored, first she has to go through months and months of chemotherapy. You know the drill. It will make her sick. It will make her hair fall out. It will demolish a good portion of her body. But she must do this as a way to make health possible. Before renovation, there must be tearing down Before construction, destruction. I had the honor last week of sitting with a young man as he told to another person aloud to me his fourth step in the 12-step program. If you know this fourth step, you know that it is to take a fearless moral inventory, to lay out all of the wrongs you've done Every time you've hurt someone, everything you can think of that comes to mind, you write it down, page after page after page. All the resentments you've held, all the fears that keep you back, I listened. And somewhere into the second hour, I wanted to say, dude, that's good. I I get the picture. But he needed to get it out. He needed to tell it. He needed to do this inventory as humiliating and as vulnerable as it made him because it was necessary for him in order to begin the process of building back. So Jesus Christ comes along and says, I've come to bring fire. But it's not an angry and meaningless And random kind of fire. Rather, this is the kind of fire with purpose that burns to purify and hone and call us to be the people that we're called to be. I've got a baptism with which to be baptized. That is an immersion into love's alternative way that will require ultimately my life. And do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? Well, before we can have real peace, Jesus says, first we must have division. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother. Do you think I've come to make nice? Do you think I've just come to bless the current arrangements? Do you think I've come to be a superficial savior, a cosmetic kind of Christ? Do you think I'm here just to wallpaper the world? I've come to bring division. What is it that divides us? In a few weeks, the UK UofL football game will take place. That'll divide us. Is that really what divides us, though? Pundits tell us we're divided between red states and blue states, Democrats and Republicans. Some people will say we're divided by economic class. Others will talk about race. Here at Highland, we might talk about our views on baptism. What really divides us? It seems to me what Scripture, what Jesus tells us is that what divides us is whether or not we orient our lives individually and collectively around the kingdom of God kind of values or will we orient our lives around the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of greed and competition that says there's not enough, that it's a dog-eat-dog world out there, and it's everyone for themselves, whether we live our lives under the mantra of saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, or whether we say, my kingdom come, our will be done on earth. My friend Kyle Childress is a pastor in East Texas uh, behind what they call the Pine Curtain. His church is a kindred church to ours, and it's at least 100 miles in any direction from a kindred spirit kind of church. Kyle got asked one year to preach at the community-wide Thanksgiving service, so there were people from all the different churches from around the area. I don't know what the text was. I don't really even remember what the sermon was. But I remember Kyle telling us about the response he got to the line when he said, maybe it's time, maybe it's time that we turn off Rush Limbaugh and O'Reilly and Hannity and Fox and turn on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in the midst of the worship service, people began to boo. Now, in another context, Kyle might have said, it's time we turn off John Stewart and Rachel Maddow and Joe Scarborough and O'Donnell. In other words, it's not about party. The point is this. To make Christ's kingdom values and his vision, our own agenda will result in division on all sides. Do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? no i tell you but rather division but let's be clear division is not the goal here some christians act as if our goal is to always be fighting with other people you've heard the old story about the guy who was baptized when he came out of the up out of the water he said praise the lord i feel like arguing <laughs> our goal is not to fight Our goal is to reconcile the world by the values of Jesus. To be reconciled individually. To ask the question, the hard question, who are you? What are your values? And are you living as a child of God? To ask ourselves as a culture that we take care of and tend to all things. As a nation, as races, as religions, as our care for the earth, as caring for the least of these. To ask questions. That caused division. To ask, why are there so many people in the state of Kentucky who are in prison this morning? Someone pointed out this week to me that if you added up all of the prisoners in the state of Kentucky, they would be the fourth largest city in the state. What's wrong with this picture? To seek wisdom beyond... Uh, our own partisan ways, whatever our proclivities and our our partisanship is, to ask what will work to make this country, to make people, to make the least of these, the forgotten and the voiceless and the powerless, what will help them to move beyond the demand for revenge and get behind the wallpaper? rather than just to seek revenge, to ask questions. Why do these people hate us? What's behind their violence? To wrestle together with the implications of being a nation that now has drones flying over other countries and targeting people, asking ourselves the question, as convenient as this is, as easy and painless as this is for us, How would we react if our enemy had drones flying over our houses? Do you think I've come to bring peace? No, I tell you about division. For the vision of the kingdom of God. Its unity, its peace, its justice for all conflicts with religion and politics and cultural wallpaper that hides all of the ugly stuff. It conflicts with those of us who are too entrenched or too indifferent or too placated by the current kingdoms of this world. That's why today, today the fastest growing church in the world is not the church in the United States, it's not the church in Europe It's a church in what's referred to as the global south, the poor. For these folks read Jesus and they get it. They realize Jesus wants to peel back the wallpaper and expose the underbelly and call for the demolition that's required before renovation can happen. He's calling for the pain that must happen before there's real peace calling the church to run with perseverance the race that's set before us rather than relaxing in our privilege and saying, all is well, peace to all. Back in 2010, the New York Times ran a story, a retrospective story about the 10 Christian aid workers who were killed in the country of Afghanistan. These are people who had left home and left careers in order to be witnesses for Christ by doing acts of mercy in war-torn areas. The Taliban accused them of proselytizing and executed them, but that wasn't the case. As one of their workers said, they tried to be the hands and feet of Jesus, not his mouth. They weren't proselytizing. They were living it out. The writer of the article says their devotion is perhaps most evident in what they gave up to carry out their mission. They listed Dr. Thomas Granz, age 51, who left a thriving dental practice in order to be in Afghanistan. They listed Dr. Karen Wu, age 36, who walked away from a surgeon's salary to live on subsistence pay to do this work. They talked of Cheryl Beckett, age 32, who had no time for courtship or marriage because she was giving herself to this work through Christian aid. These are folks who had peeled back the wallpaper. In this world of violence and division and war and oppression, it cost them their lives. Before she died, Dr. Wu wrote a blog The evening after she had treated a 14-year-old Afghan girl who had been burned from head to foot because she had refused to marry an old man, Dr. Wu vowed to do more for women's rights. She said, because I am burning with frustration, burning with frustration. And I think there it is right there. I've come to bring fire to this earth. A fire that is compassion and connection and courage and the creativity of Christ to build love in this world and make this world what God dreams it to be. It's our calling. And it's a hard calling. Why would I ask you to do it? Why would I ask Highland to risk our nice church and our fine reputation to step out and be this kind of church? Why would I stand before you, respectable people, and invite you to come and follow in this way? Why would I ask you to send your children to our Bible study classes where they might be called to risk their lives in being a witness for Christ down in Miami, down in Overtown or wherever God sends them? Why would we do this? When Will Wollerman was the dean of the chapel at Duke University, he asked a representative of the organization Teach for America, a group that recruits the best graduates from colleges and universities across the country and employs them to teach in the lowest and the worst schools across the land the lowest income, were schools. This recruiter came to the Duke University campus, and Willeman set up a meeting for her. A pretty large group of students arrived, and when the recruiter came out to speak, she said, wow, I'm a little bit surprised at the number of people who have shown up for this meeting today. There's more here than I expected. I've been told that this really isn't a campus where I'm going to be able to recruit many people. I've been told this is a BMW kind of campus. And frankly, you all are already very successful or you wouldn't have been accepted here at Duke. And I'm sure you've got successful careers and very lucrative careers waiting for you on Madison Avenue or on Wall Street. And here I am. I hope to recruit or talk just one of you into taking one of the toughest jobs you can ever imagine, to go in the hills of West Virginia and teach in a small school, to go into south-central L.A. and teach kids who barely know how to read. I'll be honest with you, she said. Last year, two of our teachers were killed. Well, I could tell, she said, that you're probably not interested. But if by chance you are interested, I'll leave these brochures here at the ta- on the table here in the front So I guess that's all I have to say. We're dismissed. Will Willeman said that with that, the group pressed to the front to get those few brochures that were on the table. I learned an important insight that day, he said. People want something more out of life than just happiness. I believe that you and I are here. We're part of this work of love because we're looking for something more out of life than just happiness. That you and I are being invited to be co-creators with the one who said, Behold, I make all things new. To get behind the wallpaper and find that which really divides and destroys and to be part of building something bigger, building love. And you and I, we get to be part. Don't be afraid, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so to paraphrase that recruiter from Teach for America. This is a nice church. In fact, it's kind of a BMW kind of building. And as I look out at you, you're successful people. You're probably not interested in this job. But in case someone is, I'll be standing at the front as we sing together our closing hymn. Let's pray together. Call your church, O God, to be faithful in season and out, to be ever vigilant, ever joyful in this good work of love to which you've called us. And to you be glory and honor forever in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Stand together. Let's respond to God.